Welcome to the Propane Business Podcast. I'm Johnny. And I'm Yusuf. We set up and built propanefitness.com into the profitable semi-automated system that it is today, which allowed us to quit our corporate jobs and coach online full-time. More importantly, we were able to do this without a huge online audience or being glued to social media every day. We're now ready to share everything from the failures we've made to the systems that now consistently generate hundreds of thousands in revenue. We help personal trainers, coaches, and gym owners do the same by avoiding the mistakes we've made and the best practices going forward. Subscribe to this podcast to learn what we're doing and what we've done to build and scale propanefitness.com. We'll be teaching you how to generate a steady flow of online clients, win at Facebook ads, automate your coaching systems, and to achieve financial independence. Oh. Hello. Oh, what a setup. Oh, uh, yeah. That is beautiful, mate. Some, I don't know. Uh, ever since, like, the entire COVID-19 situation and Zoom just, like, skyrocketed with people signing up for that. Yeah, we, we were using Zoom before it was cool. And now all these, all these poses. <laughs> yeah. We should, we should actually find something else. We've got to find something really anymore. Like, too mainstream. Too mainstream. That's it. Discord apparently that's the new that's the new hip and trendy thing. Oh, really? Mm. Is it decentralized? Like <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, I think it's harder to just like drop into someone's Zoom call, yeah. which seems to be what everyone's worried about. To be honest, like if someone wants to do that, I'm I'm all up for it. Like as long as it's not explicit and they're yeah, naked and stuff like that. Like I'm, and even then, I remember one time I was setting up a podcast with someone. At the same time, I did like an Instagram swipe up link and I copied from my Mac and it takes the copy to my to your iPhone, which I didn't know, which now I do know. And someone random joined and I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> that's like who I was thinking this was. It's the new fashion, isn't it? Like it's called Zoom bombing or something where mm-hmm. you basically just type in random numbers and you can just turn up seriously yeah yeah you can guess you can guess meeting links but if you look now on meeting links there's like a a a a b z y exclamation mark like i've made them really really long (laughs) but i still i still back someone like if someone's got nothing to do all day yeah it's only a matter of time isn't it before you get it right (laughs) there was just something like i started watching over on youtube a guy who's uh who's basically mocking scammers so when they call him he just pretends to be an old lady and sits with them like for five hours and talks through the entire scam (laughs) and just mocks them and it's so hilarious so hilarious he's the one with the like 80s cop sunglasses exactly exactly brilliant so good so good eh? i just watched yesterday and it's just like holy shit he he also just like sticks with his character the entire time i was just like watching where he's pretending to be an old lady and he does it so well where he's just like typically also going off on rambles and talks about the past like my father used to have that desk oh that desk i have it at home now (laughs) he's got amazing commitment to the character there's there's another guy who I'll, i'll find the link for you pascal it's uh it's like he he's he goes into absolute depth in tracking down and finding the scammers and he managed yeah. to somehow hook up to their cctv and so he could see who they were from oh, his man. from his machine and okay. he was like collecting data on them and he got the authorities to come and sort them out Crazy. and they are legends like honestly um the people who are scammers just like i, I can understand where they're coming from most of the time that stems from desperation and just like typical crime anyway right uh, but at the same time it's just like someone actually then going that far 
spending mm. like hours, hours. There's what, I think like maybe the one you were referring to, Pascal, or a similar one, he gets the scammer to like have a breakdown and he admits he's yeah, wrong. Yeah, and he's like, man, like, I'm only doing this How are you guys doing anyway? Have uh, It's been a long time. I know. Good, man. Three yeah, years. Is that how long it is? Since la- yeah, since the last time we've, we've talked. Disco pumper. Three years. That's what yeah, I Disco pumper. <laughs> I, I just... I just remember because I think it was the first time or the first podcast I've ever been on. So, um, yeah. I hope you guys yeah. reference that in every, every subsequent podcast you've done. Like <laughs> credit, just want to say credit goes to Propane Fitness for... Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, this is the beginning, right? And the beginning always needs to actually get some credit as well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're good, man. We're good. How about hey, you guys? I, I just saw because you... Um, I know you've gone more like I, this is, I guess, a business podcast. I know I mm. met up with one of my old clients, Rob Graham, and I saw that oh, yeah. he was he's working with you guys. Yeah, so yeah. Really I met up with I, he was like one of my first. He was like my first competitive client, and really? he got absolutely shredded. It was ridiculous. Um, and yeah. then we met up like I don't know how many years it's been now. Like four years later, we went and got a pizza, and he was like, oh, "I might get into the online coaching scene." And I was like, "Okay," <laughs> and then he, he cooked up with you guys, and yeah, yeah. We get, I don't know whether you guys get this, but we, we get, I'd say that part of the reason why this stuff started was most of our inquiries are about, are about business stuff. I guess we're, we're probably doing something wrong with that in mind. I know, it's, it's the same with us. Right. We attract so many personal trainers yeah, ourselves yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. We always wondered why that is the case, but I think that people just want to get a little bit of insight of a successful yeah. online PT service, right? Because it's not so easy to actually get a foot in this industry. Well, that's it. That's it, yeah. And I think like someone, you know, someone starting from, from absolute zero, um, especially if they're like fully offline or in a different industry, like where do you even begin? So I yeah. suppose that's yeah. They look to people that they kind of have followed in the fitness industry before yeah. or whatever. Um, but our backgrounds in in business stuff. So I think we're like, oh yeah, like that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we we can talk about we can talk about all that. Absolutely. So you guys ready? We'll, we usually yeah. just roll into these things. Yeah, I think you've, you you two have done a couple of podcasts before, haven't you? So. A couple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't new for you. I just yeah. turn into an interviewer every time I go on a podcast. I'm like, oh, you get some you. big, you get some big names on man. Like you've done some uh, some good roundtables and stuff. I keep seeing them, seeing them on my YouTube suggested. Yeah, it's been yeah the roundtables. I, sometimes I really enjoy them, and other times I'm just like, ah, oh, there's too many people, or <laughs> mm. someone isn't speaking, or they're not saying what they truly think. <laughs> That's normally the case. So you're like the the ring in the ring, like preventing Mike as well, right, yeah, from the, punching Eric Helms. And the scariest it? one was Lyle and Mike. That was the scariest <laughs> oh, one. Pascal set up. <laughs> I've not watched that yeah, one, but not intentionally though. It was just like I don't know. Lyle, typical Lyle. He had one of his I don't know periods where he, he was just like going wild again. And this was over an hour YouTube comment section. And of course, no one else is seeing that. So I actually then uh, reached out to the other guys so that they could, pre- I, I don't know, um, defend themselves in that situation. Uh, because I, I think it's unfair when you're just like talking shit about someone else without them knowing about it. And this is all where it then stemmed from. And we could actually manage to set up a, a debate between Mike and, and Lyle. And man, we got so much shit from Lyle. Really? <laughs> also, like, he, he, he was sending us. us emails like, I just wanted you to know that you're 
fucking son of bitches and I will never come onto your podcast ever again. I just wanted to get this debate over with. And, yeah. Wow. Yeah. We so I think a, we were just saying to Menno last week that like, if you haven't got in trouble with Lyle McDonald, then you've, you're not really like, you, no, you, you know that you've made it in the industry. No, absolutely. <laughs> It's everyone's like welcome, welcome to the fitness industry on the internet, isn't it? Like <laughs> yeah. when you get when you get your first like nasty Lyle McDonald message, you're like, oh, I've made it. <laughs> yeah. But you did something like I can't remember what I can't even remember what you did, but it got like Lyle oh, really to sort of upsetting. get his group he has like a Facebook group. Oh yeah, the Prana Phase ebook. Yeah, yeah, we released that one, and then he basically um, said like that we stole all of his ideas and right. the principles behind it. Yeah, <laughs> and he was upset. Mike just, made the forward, and yeah, that upset him as well. Oh god! Right? Yeah, you know that Mike and Menno are living next door to each other for real. Yeah, but moment. just for a temporary amount. Just temporary. Of time, yeah, yeah. It's just I a COVID he's setup. A, he's still a digital nomad, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we just, I don't know why, it, we, that was one of the first things Menno said in the podcast when we interviewed him last week, and Yusuf and I just found that, just that idea is just hilarious, isn't it? Yeah. You're like, walk out here, hey, you're on my guest hotel, like, oh, you're, you're on Menno, you know. I saw them do a live together, together supermarket. that was interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, aren't you, are you guys two meters apart? Or, yeah. <laughs> How's lockdown been for you guys? Just the same, same as normal. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, we are, we are meeting up now. on a weekly yeah, <laughs> on our weekly podcast anyway, and we are talking about like how's training going, how's nutrition going. And over the past couple of weeks, it was always like nothing to report, really. It's just yeah. like so mundane. I mean, our our lives anyway, they are very similar each and every single day. We're doing the same routine, same stuff over and over again. But especially now, it's just like when there's a lockdown, especially you guys in the UK can't leave the house or just leave the house for for one walk or so. I mean, in London, isn't it like that, right? You just kind have of to run from the police. They chase yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> and thus, it's just like, yeah, super boring stuff, but it is what it is at the moment, right? We, yeah. will, we will survive that, hopefully. Where, where are you at the minute, Pascal? Uh, in Berlin, Germany. In Berlin, yeah. So my cousin's yeah. in Berlin. He says, like, they're basically not really locked down. It is crazy because I think it's so irresponsible of so many people because it doesn't really... I mean, even if you're not part of the risk group, right, you can at least have the courtesy of trying to protect other people, especially when um, this this new study has come out where they've shown that five, what was it again? 10 out of five, no, uh, five out of 10 people don't even notice any kind of symptoms at all, right? But you still carry the virus. And my mom-in-law, she's actually part of the risk group. So she had like pre-medical conditions in regards to her lungs. And also she's 60 years old. Luckily, she had the virus uh, without even noticing it. But uh, we actually took the, the measurements to actually protect her for a while up until the point where she actually had the test and was, um, uh, was tested positive. But I think that, I mean, it doesn't really take a lot from, or it's not too, too, too much to ask for to, just stay at home or at least wear a mask. Mm. It takes like a couple of seconds just to wear a mask or some gloves. So why are people complaining about that? I, I, I simply don't get it, uh, to be honest. It's just an authority thing, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Like people, people don't like being told to do. Yeah, even, even, whether, even if it's like grounded in evidence and science, it's yeah. like, wow. Well, yeah. yeah, and people are just that. like, 
to be honest, and this is no news, people are just stupid and, and <coughs> most of the time when it comes to that. They are not critical thinkers. They are taking or they are reading then an article somewhere or hearing it from an incredible source that it's not as dangerous. It's not <coughs> worse than the flu or what else, right? But yeah, five G man. It's all about 5G. We'll get shut down. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, the, one, one of the doctors I was working with had a go at one of the um, family members of a patient because mm. he, he was like, came in to visit his family member and he was like, why are you wearing gloves? And the guy was like, just because, you know, COVID and stuff. And he was like, when was the last time you washed your hands? I was like, this morning. And he was like, exactly. So <laughs> you've just been touching everything. Like you may as well have just not been washing your hands. And yeah, but um, it's it's so hard to model this stuff, and Absolutely. with with this like study of fifty to seventy percent of people were asymptomatic and carriers, like I guess we we don't know whether that extrapolates to the rest of the world, and um, that this curve is going to have to reach its apex yeah. at some point. But and yeah, this is also a, something that I've discussed with Steve and Death over the past couple of weeks that the data that we have right now is such bad data that we can't really take that bad data to actually get any kind of idea of what to do. Right? It's just like, basically, we're just like making arbitrary decisions on just like random stuff. Right? Because the, the data that we have been collecting over the past couple of weeks has been fluctuating. So when we're doing more testing, of course, you have you will be finding more people who carry the virus. If you're then also doing a little bit of fear-mongering, more people are then going to the doctors. And the the data, there was no regulation there how to collect the data, when to collect the data, and the, the discrepancy was just too huge. And thus... Well, yeah, if you're rationing tests, but you're only then giving them to certain populations or certain uh, strata, of the, it, then it, the epidemiology becomes dud so yeah. you then can't draw any conclusions from it exactly, exactly. anyway guys yeah. um we had a, a very important request for you when uh, just before we start this uh the the official questions is i've sent you a text message on zoom if in sequence if you could please just read that out aloud for us just I, feel as a like sound if, check. I feel like if you give it in text it's easier Okay. You have to stay together or one person the next one person I, th- okay. I think really the, the challenge is when you listen to anything like this you think well you know how do i know these guys are credible how do i know i should listen to them and i think our our acid test is the pronunciation of the following sentence oh god this is going to be particularly <laughs> challenging i i feel like i'm going to fail at it but it should be more challenging for if, you, if, yeah. in if you fail it'll just be the the like the square we send you to promote next week. <laughs> but the no good pressure. thing is that I always have an excuse, right? That it, I'm not like exactly. I'm not strong English. There's so pressure on Steve. Really. Exactly. So you're going first, Pascal. No, no, you are going first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. So I have to say both sentences. Okay. Yep. So not from propane fitness to everyone. Um, I'm not the pheasant plucker. I'm a pheasant plucker's mate. I'm only plucking pheasants because the pheasant pluckers late. Congratulations, Steve. <laughs> I'm not Made a it. pheasant plucker. I'm a pheasant plucker's mate. I'm only f- plucking oh! pheasants because the pheasant pluckers late. Oh, that was like, oh, right on the edge there. Everyone's just waiting for pleasant fucker, aren't they? That's what everyone's <laughs> wanting to happen. Congratulations, guys. There's, there's a full, it, I've, I Googled it and I found there's like a full story of it. It's like a thousand words. 
We could just make the whole podcast that, to be honest. <laughs> if I read it quickly, I'd screw up. <laughs> no chance. So, guys, would, would you rather have a cat with a human face or a dog with human hands and feet? Tough one. The dog. The dog. So I'm a dog I'm a guy dog. myself as dog well, man. so I would, I would more so prefer a dog. The challenge with that is what you're giving to the dog is thumbs. So then the question becomes, what is the dog then able to do? Like if you give a dog opposable thumbs and proper grabbing mechanism, like can they open a door if they want to? Like can they, they can pick stuff up now. They can like stop you from doing things that, you know. How yeah. strong are these hands? <laughs> well, this that's one hand. But then, question. on the on the contrary, the question then with the face on the cat: um, What could the cat then do? Could yeah. it make like facial expressions of human beings as well? Could it speak? That would be scary. Ooh, like, it would creep me out. Yeah, exactly. When it's lying, so the behavior of a cat with a human face on it as well. Just imagine that. Well, because it would just be like. Yeah, wouldn't it? Like cats seem fairly expressionless, but is that because they can't make expressions, or because they're expressionless? And they are just like assholes, just like <laughs> throwing stuff <laughs> off the table and stuff, right? And just imagine it looking at you, just completely emotionless, mm. and just like throwing things off the table, and you just think, yeah, like, okay, yeah. you hold a grudge against me, or what is it now? I, it's quite, quite. I find it quite hard to know where you are with it with a cat. I think like, yeah. you think, like, does it like me? Does it not? Whereas a dog is just unconditional. Like you're my best friend and I don't yeah. care what you do or what you say. Yeah. You're still, my, I may have hands now, but it doesn't matter. You're still my best friend. Would it give you a massage? And I'm not talking about like <laughs> massage, but more so like just when he's walking over your back that it's acting like one. That would be amazing. Actually. That would. Yeah, it would. You get experience spot- belly rubs. Spotting's a, uh, a good one. Especially for like the home gym scenario, like help you get the dumbbells up into place. But again, the question is, how strong are the hands? (laughs) They could train with you. You can make them strong. It's good. Yeah, just like. Just imagine he he comes to you, and right now it's more like if it's a typical dog, he um, he touches your face, and now when he has a hands, he just slaps you in the face the entire time. (laughs) And he could also make the argument of like, okay, does he just act? as if he loves me or does he actually mm-hmm. hate me and just pretends as if he does love um, me. So would you have to wash them as well? Oh, Oh yeah. <laughs> That's the other question. Uh, like, cause you don't wash a dog's paws, do you? No. At least I don't. Maybe I should be doing that, but like to, to get rid of the COVID risk, but you just assume, well, he's not touched any handles. He's not touched any surfaces where humans have touched, but now maybe, maybe they are. Well, the, the only, the other problem is that if, if dogs are like pound for pound stronger than humans <laughs> and suddenly you give them opposable thumbs, like they can do a mixed grip on the bar. Um, yeah. They may, you may end up like coming in the room and, and Steve, you, you just see your dog doing pull-ups on that, on that pull-up bar and you're like, ah, oh, like with Damn like it. 50 kilos around its waist. Because <laughs> we'll never know. Very scared actually. We'll never know. We'll never know. We'll maybe maybe we will. Maybe we will in the future. <laughs> maybe that's the end point of, of the virus, isn't it? That like it, it turns into dogs having hands. people. Where was it again? In some kind of a show or series? Was it like Rick and Morty or so? Where there was kind of cross-pairing of, of different species or so? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. We'll have to look it up, though. Yeah. If there's dogs with hands. 
Was that the only question you said? Was that so the, we're done with the, the, the... Well, the, there is one more question, <clears throat> which is that would you rather every time that you have an orgasm, the song All Star by Smash Mouth plays, or every time the song All Star by Smash, Smash Mouth plays, I'm not the pheasant plucker, um, <laughs> that you have an orgasm? <laughs> uh, so it's quite straightforward for me because i don't have orgasms that often anymore and um i think i oh, know wait a second because just imagine you sleep no and yeah and just imagine you are asleep <laughs> and in the midst of the night you wake up because the music starts playing <laughs> yeah and the question is also do other people around you hear the music as well so the answer oh, they, yeah. they they hear it at the same level of decibels as like a Bluetooth speaker. That could be very <laughs> embarrassing for many people. Mm. Like you're just sitting in kind of a room. I don't know you, you just for certain appointment or so, but somewhere in the room, just the ma- music. Waiting for an appointment. And then, and <laughs> but how often? Someone's just like <laughs> looking around, who has an orgasm now? <laughs> so the question also here in this scenario is, is it only applying to you or to everyone in the world? That's a good point, because if it's common knowledge or if it's happening to everyone, then the creep level steps up quite a lot. Because yeah. you could be in the park, and if you hear that song, you're like, uh-oh. Yeah. Every, just everywhere, the song is just playing. Well, I think you change your ringtone to it, don't you? Like, you use every possible opportunity to stall any situation by just giving everyone an orgasm. Yeah. You'd, you'd, go to, you'd go to bars where all that happened in the bar was like this CD, like, it just, they just played the music really loud. And then... It actually is a kind of a, so if in this scenario that when the music plays, you get an orgasm and everyone around you hears that and gets an orgasm as well. It's kind of like a domino stone falling. Uh, Everyone else around you gets orgasm and the entire world is just like constantly getting orgasms. Just orgasming. Yeah. It's non-consensual as well. So it might be even illegal to play the song in (laughs) buildings. That that must be it then. It's, yeah, my main concern is I have no idea what the song is, so like, uh, well, I would need it to just make sure that you not to. <laughs> so just, just hold on to your pants before before, uh, we, uh, <laughs> yeah, before we go on a walk today. Just give it a listen privately. In the <laughs> <laughs> so guys, you've um, you've really thrown yourselves into this uh, the podcast situation over the last few years and the the setups are looking beautiful as well. Mm-hmm. I see you've got a proper pop filter, Steve and, uh, and P- Pascal's managed to make like a room that looks like a, 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 a the fort <laughs> that you'd make when you're eight years old into like a really kind of arty looking background. Yeah. So I'm right now in the process of moving houses and I, I managed to actually steal the room of my, uh, all the sun um, and this acts now as my office but when we are moving houses i actually have them my own office um and then i will probably have a different setup like this that's why it looks the way it does right now i'm not sleeping that bad this is not my bad <laughs> that would be okay so, though pascal like you don't, don't it would, like you it would. And, uh, i mean i envy my son for having a bed like this <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing come on eh? that's the real here yeah yeah. So how talk to talk to us about like because I think the the number one question that people have with this stuff is um how do you, how do I start? And that might be a difficult question for you guys to answer because you you maybe don't even remember. But what's sort of the first thing you remember doing? 
like for, for us, I think we cite it back to writing articles and just, you know, you just write something in the internet and you just sit there and hope that someone sees it. So what, what was your first a thing that you did? What was the first thing you remember to start your online coaching? Online, not the podcast. Not the podcast. Okay. Not, well, I mean, I, yeah. I suppose the first thing you did for the podcast was... Only because we were the, talking about the podcast. podcast. Oh, I was thinking about the podcast. And online coaching. I guess, actually, me and Pascal have different, somewhat different journeys into online coaching. Uh, mine came from being a one-on-one PT and in contest prep at the same time and deciding that sitting behind a computer was more enjoyable than being <laughs> on my feet and talking to people. Um, <laughs> and I was just, I was completely ignorant to the fact that what contest prep would do to me and like how hard it would be. And it was my first time and I was just like finding it very tough and almost wishing people wouldn't turn up for their appointments as a one-on-one PT. It wasn't good. It was also my first year into one-on-one PT. So didn't really know what to expect in that regard. And so I ended up yeah, spending more time behind the computer. And as I was getting leaner and like doing my like proper training in this gym that I was PTing at, some of the kind of younger uh, people who were maybe two years behind me, two years younger, were like, can you, like, how do you eat? How do you train? Like they were asking me lots of questions. And at this time I was aware of like 3DMJ. Um, they're probably the people I was most aware of. I knew they did some online coaching. I was like, well, these guys, they can't afford one-on-one PT and they, they don't want it. They don't want me to watch them train. Not really. They just want programming for their training nutrition. So I was like, I'll set you up online. I think I started out at like 20 or 30 pounds per month. Uh, training these guys and I just started getting results with them to the point of which I think I had I was earning like <clears throat> just under 20k and uh, like over the, the the year and I decided that it was a good idea to go full-time into that and move into London with my girlfriend um, and then I just like at that point I was like well there's no turning back now I'm an online coach this is what I do and so then I just started like you guys writing articles. Um, and I think the kind of point that helped me a lot was they got picked up by the personal training development center. I think that's what it's called PTDC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they started becoming like articles of the week. And that started getting me into the face of people who might be interested in online coaching, a lot of personal trainers, obviously, and that might stem to why we still currently coach a lot of personal trainers, um, because it kind of came from there. So that's kind of my, I, I almost landed into it it wasn't like a, I'm going to become an online coach. It was, mm. I'm going to become a personal trainer. And I sucked at that because I just didn't have the energy and the effort to go into it. And I just loved um, sitting behind a computer and looking at Excel. So it's the introvert's <laughs> dream, isn't it? Yeah, me too. Um, so so you, you already had your pool of online clients like that would kind of come to you organically through your PT work by the time you started developing an online presence. And then by doing that you started to kind of increase your pool increase your prices and and create more of a brand yeah that's i think i started with well actually i had already i already had like a youtube channel and i was like documenting my awful progress and my awful videos and some vlogs and that was called the fitness hub and then i changed to steve uh, revive with steve hall i think it was initially um And yeah, the people I was picking up were local people. Uh, And then I started, they've started referring and then it started becoming like people I used to go to school with. um, That was like 
they were never my friend or I didn't really know them that well. It was just, they saw that I was doing this thing and getting results. When it starts moving out in the layers of like close friends to acquaintances, to people who you don't yeah. know to, mm-hmm. so, and, and I think this is, this kind of matches with the style of content that you guys put out, which is it's very detail oriented. It's very, um, I guess it very much appeals to personal trainers or people who have really got a cerebral interest in training um, the articles that you've written for us or that, um, that I've seen, like you did a great piece on reverse dieting. Um, these are all like really methodical, systematic kind of pieces for someone who has been training for some time and wants to really optimize their physique. Was that a deliberate thing or like, were you, were you niching deliberately when you started? Uh, I wasn't deliberately doing it. I think did the whole trap that I think people personal trainers fall into where they write for what they want to see, or they write to other personal trainers. Mm -hmm. And now that works because that is who we end up coaching and it works for us. But at the time it was just, Oh, I've learned this new thing. I'm going to just put it out there and talk about it. And it also is what just appeals to me and I enjoy talking about. So that's, yeah, I ended up niching towards this people, these people before even knowing that that's what I wanted. Like we, I wanted Revive Stronger to be. That's something we spoke about with, with Menno in the last podcast was this idea that that's what, that's what a lot of coaches do when they move online. I think as they see content from people like yourself, following 3DMJ, Eric, Renaissance Periodization, et cetera, and they see that sort of content and think, well, that's evidence-based content that I need to be producing because that's what attracts a certain type of client. Um, but really, <clears throat> as you guys have experienced, like that attracts other personal trainers, right? It attracts people who ha- fi- look at that stuff and find it interesting, not someone who just desperately wants abs for Marbella in June. Like it's a, it's a very different sort of person. So I suppose the lesson is you guys, are, are the, the business you're running now is a result of that. And a lot of the people you work with, I assume, as you mentioned, are, personal trainers or serious competitors in bodybuilding or strength sports i'm I'm guessing yeah absolutely and the 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 problem is or so many people come into the industry such as steve or already already pointed out so himself is that they um want to attract the wrong person Mm -hmm. or the wrong clientele that they are writing or producing content for the wrong people instead of focusing on the people that they actually can work with or are the best to help with so when someone is transitioning into online coaching or just wants to do that and has been an offline personal trainer most of the time these aren't high level bodybuilder athletes or so but they are just like typical joe who just wants a six-pack or so Mm -hmm. so then writing super complex articles while it worked so i'm not saying that our articles are super complex but um they are just a little bit more advanced for uh, or too advanced for the typical Joe who won't mm-hmm. just go pump pack most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, when it then comes to someone like uh, stronger by science, so Greg Knuckles, his articles are just like very in depth, right? Yeah. Probably the only articles you ever need to read for something like, I don't know, the entirety of a deadlift or so. So the the problem that many people are now facing is that they are getting into the industry or they want to actually become an online coach, but they are not um, taking into consideration the people that they want to work with. They are only writing and producing content for the wrong type of people. So just so that an Eric Helms 
does see their article and hits a like. While this is satisfying in the short term, this doesn't pay your bills. Mm. This is what I typically see in the industry, that they are trying to please or get confirmation from the wrong people. And this is actually what leads to them not being successful in the long term. That's a really good point. And I, I think this is, these are two things that you guys have done absolutely right. Like you, you've totally nailed it with, with your creation of content, which is one, you've realized where your domain of competence is and it is in catering to these people and kind of communicating that science to people who have the discipline and have the work ethic and, and um, the interest in these sports to take it to a higher level. And so there are a lot of people that will read an Eric Helms article and they think that because they've seen the knowledge that, that that's it, they, they're suddenly the, the expert on it and they just produce like a distilled kind of scientifically shitter version of the, of the same thing. And they wonder why it's not getting any exposure or any traction. Um, whereas, whereas, and what that says is that that's not their domain of competence and they actually need to look at what they, what they can do, who naturally comes to them already. So it seems like you guys have like found where you're competent, doubled down on it. And also you seem to have evolved really well. I don't know whether this is deliberate or not, but you've evolved with the global preference or global uh, decline in attention span that it seemed like initially, same as us, we were kind of writing long articles and quite kind of attention heavy stuff. And it's progressed onto like, it seems like most of your content is across podcast and Instagram. I don't know if that's, if that's accurate, but um, it seems to have moved very much with the curve of people moving towards that stuff and um, looking for kind of quicker, easier content to consume. No, absolutely. And I think that this is just a natural pro- progression on our end. It wasn't deliberate. Like most of the time, I think that there is definitely something to it that we thought like, okay, do a little bit of an experiment here. We invest a little bit of time into a project and see how the return is. This is also what we've done with a certain series for different podcast avenues. We've realized like the amount of effort and time that goes into a certain project isn't worth the return anymore. This is also one of the reasons why we are actually not writing articles anymore because first and foremost, we fell out of love with that. And secondary, the time investment it's just like not worth it at the moment because there are so many other people that are doing a better job at <clears throat> writing an article about a certain topic and the amount of depth that some people put into that. Once again, let's just bring up Stronger by Science. The, the articles there on this website, it's just like most of the time you don't need another article about a specific topic anymore because they covered everything. He's, everything. he's completed it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And why should we then go out and actually just spend a little bit of time on that and make, as you rightly pointed out, so yourself, a poor version of that? doesn't make sense, right? Mm -hmm. And this is also then, I think, um, why we progress more and more towards also being a little bit more anecdotal when it comes to making use and taking advantage of uh, the coaching experience that we gained over the past couple of years. Because experience is worth so so much you can learn so much about theoretical things right you can read a textbook you know that yourself right from med med school probably you can read a textbook but going out and and applying that to a patient is a completely different thing right this is where experience comes into play a doctor who has worked in the field for like 20 30 years will probably do things very different to someone who just like finished uh, med school 
right? Because of the experience constant to play here. And this is something that I think happened to us as well, that more and more our experience comes through. We're still in the early stages of like coaching. And I think that in 10, 20 years, we will do things very different to how we do things now. But this is where the value lies in, that the experience, this is also what you're paying for in a service. Because you could learn the everything basically, but we don't have the time to learn everything. Thus, we actually then exchange our money for their experience. And the same goes around as well for us as well then. And that's why when we are also now producing things such as our presentations over on our membership site, I hardly ever uh, cite any kind of studies because there's no inherent uh, value for the person who's watching that presentation. I'm not the expert. I'm not the researcher. So why should I then try to dissect the entire study and talk about it when the value in, in me presenting on a specific topic comes from my experience? And this is, I think, uh, which is also, or which needs to be thought of, of uh, when it comes to personal trainers, that they they shouldn't deviate from their um, expertise too much. And I think too many people have done that over the past couple of years, especially in the mm. evidence base realm. It's, it's a form of signaling or flexing, I think, when people try and plow all of as many scientific words as they can fit into a, into a post or talk about fatty acid synthase and the relative protein oxidation of whatever and, um, and, and try and <clears throat> basically throw in as many citations as possible, hoping or knowing that the reader is never going to check out the original studies and actually see whether they um, match up to the scrutiny or match up to the claims that even the original author would have made. Um, but it's a form of like trying to plug the credibility when someone can't fully rely on the merit of the content alone. And so, um, yeah, I think that totally makes sense to say, actually, when I put this content out, this should be good enough for its own sake, rather than having to rely on um, putting in a bunch of citations that people won't read. Additionally to that, um, it is like when you are intentionally writing for other researchers, I can see the point in actually making it then complex. Right, because there's only a handful of people who need to understand it for them to practically apply it to their own studies or so. However, if your main goal, and this is something that I think should be the case as a, as a personal trainer, is to help as many people as possible in the best way you can, then there's no value in actually writing complex or super, super hard to understand articles or presentations or something like that. You want to make it as easy to understand as possible so that you can help as many people as possible. And therein lies, lies the true art. It's kind of not really an issue to write a complex article because you could then throw out just like, super uh, intellectual and complex words in there. However, if just a major, uh, minority of people, like 10 out of 100 people can understand, like truly understand it, there is no benefit in that. However, if you are able to reach all of those 100 people and every single one of them was able to understand it and go out and actually practically apply it to their <coughs> own training or to their customers, as a, or so then this is where you have won. And this is also where I think most people will then be successful at. Mm -hmm. because when we take a look at just like typical authors, most authors um, weren't successful because they were writing in a super complex manner. No, 
the ones who are most of the time successful are the ones who make a complex topic understandable for the gen pop. Because I think if, if people look at the the online fitness world now, a lot of people, especially in the UK, will think of someone like James Smith, who I'm guessing both of you are familiar with, right? So he, people have strong opinions on him either way, but what he's successfully done <clears throat> is taken the idea of calorie balance and almost in the most watered down version, like Eric Helms' pyramid, right? The kind of distillation of how do we take all this information and make it into a framework that someone can actually go out and do something with. James has popularized or made that idea accessible to gen pop clients. He's made it entertaining, made it something that someone actually wants to listen to and consume. And I think that really what, what you're saying, Pascal, and I hundred percent agree is what you, the value you add as a coach is your experience kind of wading through all of this stuff, figuring out, you know, this is important. This isn't important. When I tried this, this worked, etc., And packaging that into something that appeals to the person you're trying to reach, which doesn't necessarily mean how do I produce an article that is a, there's a distillation of Eric Helm's nutrition pyramid book, or, you know, how do I, how do I take some of that information and say, actually, this is one thing you might want to try today. This is, this may be how you want to arrange your week based on what I've seen to work based on some of the current information in my industry. But I think the industry often stays too much inside itself, if that makes sense. Like people, as you say, write articles because they want Eric Helms or another authority to like their post rather than how do I take this outside of the industry and make it relevant for my, my target market or the population I'm trying to help. No, totally. And I think this also stems from confidence because Mm -hmm. when you, when you step into the field, you're not as confident behind the things that you are preaching and the experience that you've gathered so far. Because there are so many people who have been in the industry since like 10, 20 years, and you're just like, okay, can I really, can I really debate them in the experiences that I've made already, right? Mm-hmm. So when there's a lack of confidence, then you're trying, of course, to get a, a stamp of approval of certain credible people in the industry. And I think that this is where we've also over the past couple of years were able to help another. So Steve and I just like support each other and like shit testing our methodologies, our approaches. And I think that we are on a good way of becoming a great coaching service, but also at the same time, we are still in the early early stages of uh, becoming good coaches, right? We are still human beings. We are still making mistakes, but from those mistakes, we can reanalyze and reflect upon these mistakes and make them better in the future. And by that, we can actually then go out with a little bit of a confidence or more confidence and saying like, yeah, I made a mistake, but I'm learning from those. And because of that, because I learned and, and I gathered some experience. Now I can wholeheartedly stand behind that and actually have my own opinion and my own thoughts on a specific matter instead of just like parroting what other people mm. are preaching. And this is something that you commonly see, unfortunately, in the industry that you're just like, or that so many people are just like repeating what they picked up somewhere else without actually. Um, making their own experiences and also building their own knowledge about the things that they are seeing and experiencing. And then marking that as, as evidence-based because it's come from someone who references some research, right? You know, so it's, it's copying that person's the same as copying someone who believes her, her life is the way forward. It's just yeah. mimicking someone else's opinion. Yeah. So I, I completely agree with the confidence thing. Like something we hear a lot is um, how, how can I possibly become an online coach when, 
there's the likes of Menno with all, you know, all of the content he's producing. It's so complex. He's, he clearly really understands research and how to distill that into an article. How can I compete with that? And it sounds like what you said before, Steve, was the people you started working with were people who perhaps were, were similar to yourself, but a few years previously, um, and people that sort of knew who you were. There was kind of, there was some low hanging fruit sort of in your in immediate circle that was similar to yourself. Absolutely. And I think, um, like you said, the initial growth was people seeing me, me getting results and then being interested in how are you doing that? And yeah. I think it's become the, like you guys are just talking about science is only so valuable ever. Like I was, I was actually literally saying this to Charlotte yesterday. Uh, I was saying how she could be an online coach. She could just use someone else's photo, use someone else's transformation photos, quote some science, and she could probably pick up like, I don't know, she could, she could be an online coach. I don't know if she'd actually get any clients, but she could now mm-hmm. look the part at least from the outside in. Mm-hmm. Whereas I actually think um, too many people focus on the science and they end up maybe like looking at someone else's infographic, copying it, changing it slightly and trying to put their spin on it. Whereas actually it's still personal training. It's still coaching and people are looking to get that person. Like they want to work with like revive stronger because they've seen me and Pascal sharing our progress. They've seen us talking on the podcast and they're like, you sound like someone for me. You mm-hmm. like, you guys have the same like morals or values or like, you just seem like people we want to work with. And yeah, you talk about some science and that's cool, but they're kind of more so interested in developing that relationship. And yeah, I think part of the initial growth is definitely sharing that. And now I think it's super important that we have our podcast where we talk to one another on the improvement season and talk about what we're doing. I share sharing over on Instagram, my progress. I know that people enjoy seeing that. I have no doubt that that's helping kind of build the brand at the same time because kind of practicing what you preach is important so uh, so much <clears throat> and i think it's it's so interesting you said that you feel like charlotte could be an online coach if she had the you know if, if you market it correctly and spin it with the, the photos and all that stuff because ultimately what's going on there is that it's people are looking for a heuristic they they're short on time they just want to be able to outsource that expertise and just say look just i want to know what to do and yeah, so if someone has walked the walk, as you guys absolutely have, like having these photos up is almost just a little subtle kind of, oh, by the way, um, we also do the the things that we recommend and it, it yeah. here it is, it's worked. Um, so this heuristic of, of time saving, we, we tend not to look too much beyond the surface and just say, whether that's for better or for worse, you know, obviously there are Instagram influencers that are in phenomenal shape, but have nothing to offer in the way of information and coaching. And then you have other people who are deeply into the um, the mechanics of it, but they don't actually do or, or project. And we, we, we're guilty of this. Like we got a message from someone who's like, guys, I've been following you for two years and I didn't even realize you lifted until you put it up, put up like a physique photo. And then I was like, oh my God. So like maybe we need to kind of whore ourselves out a bit more. Um, but it's, it's so interesting that you've got this kind of, this time-saving thing and people are short on time and they make these mental shortcuts and sometimes that can be used to your advantage, as you guys have done. Sometimes it can be used in a bit more of a dishonest way. So I don't know if you've seen, you've heard of Matthew Walker. He did a thing called Why We Sleep. It was a yeah. book recently. And somebody, some really obsessional dude online, went through with a tooth comb all of yeah. chapter one. Um, have you seen this? Yeah, <laughs> I have. And he goes through every citation that he picks up and he goes to the original text and he goes, that's not a, that claim's not 
valid. That one's not valid. And he, and he just, at the end, he says like, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm only going through chapter one because this has taken me bloody ages, but it's just to point out that, you know, we can't kind of make these shortcuts all the time. Um, so I think a winning combination that you've pointed out, Steve, is that you, you have the methods, you've got the client results, and then you're showing your own journey in this as well. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, the amount of times I've had, like, as much as I don't think it's necessarily right, we have to realize that humans are humans. And Jackson Pios recently posted an article on it. We recently were on another podcast talking about it where, like, as much as it necessarily isn't, like, being a good coach doesn't mean you have to be in shape and be amazing yourself and follow, like, practice what you preach. But from a sales perspective and from the outside looking in, people look up to their coach, I think, a lot of the time. And they pick their coach as someone that they respect, they admire, they kind of look up to. And I think, and I've had it multiple times from my clients being like, oh, you're looking in great shape. And like, oh, the reason I signed up with you or like went to Revive Stronger is because I saw your journey. and was like, well, if you've done that, then I can do that. And as much as I have many kind of like moral disagreements sometimes with it because it doesn't necessarily reflect like what that person can do and what they can get in terms of their genetics and what they actually have their lifestyle and everything and maybe some of the results that we get was like despite what we did at the end of the day that people buy like what they see and I think part of even being an online coach even though it's not one-on-one you're kind of some of your what you're selling is yourself and you kind of are your advert own advertisement in many ways. So I think the way you show your physique, but also talk and kind of uh, yeah, respond to people says a lot. Yeah. It, it is. I think people forget very quickly that it is still just a business, right? And people buy things for specific reasons. Like it, it may, it may offend someone or upset someone, but if you, I always use a coffee shop example. I don't know why, but if you like take yourself out of the online fitness world, cause it's a, it's a bit of a weird bubble. If you've got like a barista who's been making craft coffee for like artisan coffee for 10 years versus someone who's just started making coffee, like there's going to be a bit of a difference in the demand and the experience of that. And so I think it doesn't necessarily have to be that someone's in incredible shape, but you still have to have value to offer someone that isn't just regurgitating what you've just learned which is why we, people ask us a lot, how can I present myself as an expert if I don't feel like I'm in the best shape or if my clients lift more than me or whatever? I think it's, it's someone that is, that is earlier in the same journey that you're on is the easiest person to position yourself as an expert to because you can legitimately say, well, look, over the past two years, this, these are the things that didn't work for me. Just avoid that. These are the things that I found work best for me that's where I'd allocate your time and attention. And that sort of, that takes away from, you know, I'm not in as good, as good a shape as Steve. Therefore I can't compete with Steve. It's like, well, maybe you don't have to, maybe you just help someone who's similar to yourself, who's not quite where you are yet. And you're still, as you say, I think the point of people aspire to be like their coaches, people want the results that they have that can, that's still relevant in that transaction. That's still a, you know, there's still a timeline still makes sense, but yeah, it's, it is, a, it is a challenging thing to get around. If someone wants to be a, a great powerlifter or a great weightlifter or a great bodybuilder, like they're going to look to the best people in the field naturally, aren't they? They're going to look to the people who've achieved those results, whether we like it I or think, not. Yeah, I think the, the problem there is also that people are then complaining about other people that, that are successful. Mm-hmm. Instead of wasting your time complaining about the other people that are successful, try to make a, or use your time 
a little bit more efficiently, right? So like you said, um, no one is starting with their business and, and the business is just perfect. Mm-hmm. Every single successful business in the world has a, had a starting point and now they are where they are. That doesn't mean that they end producing goods or services any longer because they are now just satisfied with their revenue. <laughs> that, is, that doesn't also mean that they came from a point where everything was just like super perfect there was a natural development over the years, mm-hmm. but the service or the goods that they've provided from the get-go um, had a, a certain appeal to a certain demographic. That's why they were able to grow and, and uh, get some revenue where then they could grow from that one even further. <clears throat> this is something that you can then uh, see for yourself as a personal trainer, whether it is powerlifting, whether it is bodybuilding. You start where you are starting with your body composition. So let's just break it down to something like bodybuilding. This is your starting point. That doesn't mean that your brand and your representation of the brand will look like this for the rest of your career, right? Start working, start putting in some a little bit of work and effort, and it will naturally progress from there on. This is how every single business grows. You are making mistakes, you have some setbacks, but also you have a clear vision and something unique that only stands for your brand. This is also one of the common flaws I see with many online personal trainers out there. They are trying to be desperately to be someone that is already in the field. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be another Eric Counts because we have a, an Eric Counts. You don't need to be the next Mike Sartell because we have a Mike Sartell. Try to be you. There's a particular reason why people will then come to you because it is only you who can offer that to them then. And this is also where I think it falls back to the confidence kind of thing. We were more confident or we got more confident over the years to just be ourselves. And also on the podcast, just like, at first, I was hesitant in just sharing things or talk openly about certain things because I had the feeling like, okay, people could judge me for the things I'm saying. Right now, I see it as a strength because people get to know me better and that allows them to also relate to me. And by that, maybe I'm then the right person for them to help them change or go through a specific process or so, right? So we all have a different path that led us to where we are here today. And I think that this is something that you can take advantage of. And from there on, also move forward and try to then develop just like you you yourself as an individual, but also you yourself as a business. Then. Such a good point. And we have made so many goofs in both fitness and business over the years as well, exactly as you said, where the, the common thread has been that we we're all, we've always been developed. We've always been making high quality content and and delivering a high quality service to our clients. But around that, we've made so many errors of um, either niching wrong or coming across wrong in content. You know exactly as you said, trying to avoid pissing anyone off and staying within the, the very narrow barriers of um, of being vanilla. And you know exactly as you said, like not just being afraid of being authentic online, talking about our experiences. Um, appealing to the wrong people and all these kind of uh, mistakes. And, and particularly with regard to the way that we set our personal, personal time boundaries and managing that, because I think having gone from a perfect, you know, financial sector into something where you're self-employed and you can suddenly just 
work at all hours of the day if you if you wanted to that very quickly takes an impact on your health and ironically um as steve was saying like to be the supposedly the the bastion of fitness and yet spend most of your time sedentary and and sat behind a computer it it doesn't always match up and it's very easy to skip a training session because you your client workload is too high or you've got all this other stuff going on and something that was so interesting when i when i messaged you steve was um i was like oh should we do the podcast how's saturday and you were like oh actually i tend not to work on weekends i was like can you please talk to us about how you manage to um to create these boundaries within your week and make sure that you get time to yourself yeah for me um when i was first getting into it uh, i mean i was just like on my own just doing everything and it was like there's just always something to do like you said when you're self-employed there's always something we could do like if i wanted to i could we could start writing articles again and that would take that i could feel all my spare time now having to like mock those up and do those so there's there's always something you can be doing and that can be like a blessing because for me and pascal we love working and we know we're both working towards like a vision of revive stronger and what that means to us is huge so that's really nice but at the same time sometimes it means that like i don't know how much holiday we took last year this year i don't think either of us have taken anything yet and we have no plans to obviously at the moment not not really and we we like put in our contract just, I think it was like last year for clients that we had like the same amount of holidays, what a normal job would have. And like, we're both probably looking at it like, we're just not going to take that, are we? It's just not <laughs> going to happen. Uh, but we put it there and actually Pascal said, uh, we spoke yesterday about it and he said like in future, we'll probably get better. And I think over time we have got better. I've got better at being um, more precious over my time. I certainly used to do podcasts. Like I would just say yes to any time. Um, for interviewing guests, even if it was like at really awkward times or weekends, I'd just do anything because it was just a case of I didn't feel confident enough in the, the podcast and the business where I could turn down opportunities. But as the, the business has grown, um, as we've got more comfortable with things, um, as my systems have, have improved, like I, I'm more concerned about having like set times of doing things. And one thing I will say is, I'm not sure I'd be as good as I am with everything if Charlotte wasn't in my life because a lot of my hours are kind of like, well, I can't work now because Charlotte would literally kill me. <laughs> like, uh, she has weekends off. She stops. She normally is home from work or at the moment she's working from home. So that's interesting. But we're normally, she finishes at like 7, 7.30. So that's kind of like my cap off time. She's not working over the weekends. So I, I tend try to not and work on weekends, at least any like, proper work like i'm always going to check emails i'm always going to kind of catch a client or two and i'm always going to be on instagram which is kind of semi-work in some ways so yeah for me it was just a case of over time i developed time blocks in terms of like okay this is when i wake up this is when i kind of do my client work this is when i train this is when i like do these various things and we've now got like calendly which has been really helpful for like setting consultations up of calendly yeah it's, i mean it, it's so much easier than having to like jumble around with things so yeah it's i don't know if i really answered the question but over time it's just as the business has grown as we've got more confident and realized more isn't always better and actually sometimes having and i think even now both of us would probably benefit from taking time away like having a holiday to just let your mind like refresh just like we have deloads you take time away from the gym you come back better you kind of have new ideas thought processes 
um, I think you end up getting burnt out if you just try and keep going all the time. So, yeah, I think so the main solution is um, get an angry girlfriend that <laughs> that can be the external accountability. Uh, yeah, I ha- think that definitely helps. It's the same for me as well. I mean, when when Katie came into my life and with the kids, uh, I needed to actually make room for that. I'm still much worse in taking the time than Steve is. Steve has always liked the weekends for that. I'm getting better at that, but there are also times where I'm just like, okay, seven days straight working because I have to. And in reality, you don't have to. It's your priority. You're making that decision. No one, no one outside of Revive Strong is, work, uh, is waiting for a specific thing to come out unless you have actually then promised there to be something like a specific content or so. So no one is uh, out there waiting for, for it. There's not an agency that has a million budget and you need to actually put out an ad at that time because that product is launching at that hour. Mm. So the only pressure that you're putting uh, out there is basically you are creating that pressure and you are creating the problem then. And yeah, because of that, you should also then prioritize and schedule things accordingly. Once again, sometimes it's just required that you need to work a little bit more often or longer. That's absolutely all right. But I think that it's what Steve said, has somewhat of a schedule or structure in place so that you are deliberately taking some time off and some time away from working because otherwise it will end up like this. And uh, I, get, I think that you guys probably know that when you're trying to study for 10, 10 hours in a row, how efficient are you then in actually then um, remembering the things that you've read and learned? Probably not that much, right? So if you're then trying to study for an exam in one week, probably not that much will, uh, will stay in your mind. However, if you're then chucking things up for like one month or two months, spreading it out over that time frame, having uh, intentional breaks, probably you will be so much better prepared and have, a, have such a better time as well outside of studying. And this is something that, yeah, we're, we're trying to work on, but this is also a work in progress as well, such as it's, I think- developing the brand. The work in progress thing's huge. I think we, a lot of what you guys are saying, I think Yusuf and I will resonate with a lot. Like I think both of us, like even on holiday, to be honest, like I'll, I'm waking up early and like sneaking in a bit of work before Becca gets up. Um, but it's not, it's not because I think this is the thing that people misinterpret. Like, you know, you see these ads on Facebook, which are like, um, you know, like the four hour work week angle, like make six figures from Bali, all that sort of bullshit. Like, I just don't know why, I don't know why someone who's, who's running a business that they enjoy in an industry that they are passionate about, why they want to reduce. Cause like you still, you've got to do something with your time yeah. and what better way to spend that time than like doing something that's part of progressing something and, and improving something like what else, what are you going to do? Like sit and watch Netflix and said like, that's not, that's not as fulfilling, even, even objectively speaking, you don't get as much out of that. But so that's one thing, like, I think people misinterpret, oh, there's so many hours, but the hours are doing things that you often want to do. So then you have this, this weighing this up of like, how do I still have a life outside of this stuff? Cause I could just work from waking till sleep over until I eventually can't. So you have to create these boundaries for yourself. But like you're both saying, I think it's something that it's a skill that's very difficult to, to manage that even like we've been doing this, I think 10 years basically, and we're still not very good at it. <laughs> you know, like it's still something that we're, we're trying to improve. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I think 
all, everything that we've said today is links back to me anyway, to this idea that when people enter the industry, they want a fully automated sales process that they barely have to touch clients who are paying them thousands of pounds, uh, clients who don't require any contact or anything to be done manually um, for it to all be done by midday because they see the odd example of a coach who's kind of at that point and think, well, I'll just get there. And they miss the, the decade of figuring all that stuff out. Um, all the way from the sales and marketing content production, who my, who my niche is, how I deliver my coaching and how I manage my time. I think that online coaching is fucking stressful. <laughs> I, I, that's it, I Pascal. That's, that's the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't mean it in a way that I'm not enjoying the work, but I have the feeling that it requires so much more work than offline PTing. And I'm not saying that the time investment is, uh, is more. I'm saying you, you have to be a jack of all trades all of a sudden. Because you probably don't have the financial power of then hiring a marketing team. Um, when you are then producing a podcast and editing that podcast, if so, then you have to do your own research and actually making it happen. Then also how to write articles. Um, now you're self-employed, right? You need to take care of taxes, all that kind of stuff. And you have to become good and just like managing and organizing your documents as well. That doesn't mean that this isn't the case for offline PTs, but offline PTs, most of the time they are working in a local gym. They are kind of subcontractors or so, and thus they are getting like the clients from the gym. So we were saying that like all the marketing is done for you, especially if you work, I don't know if you have in, in Germany, like pure gym or these kind of yeah. Uh, yeah. franchise gyms where yeah. you're literally, you're a dude standing there with biceps and the word personal yeah. trainer written on your back. Yeah. Like, of course, what more marketing do you need? Like you, someone's in a gym, they need help. They walk up to the personal trainer. So, and they forget that, that when someone leaves that environment, suddenly they're like, well, why can't I get any clients? And it's like, well, because you're not, you're not then floated by the marketing budget of pure gym or mm-hmm. exercise for less or whatever. Exactly. And this is what I mean um, in that you now have to step up your game and become good at many, many things at once. Perhaps in the future, you have that monetary power to actually outsource stuff. But this whole, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, actually like wait for this to happen because this requires a lot of work, a lot of years of work, and then a lot of financial income to actually make that happen. So you have to become good at many things at once and you have, have to do that consistently. It isn't enough to actually be good at that posting a couple of posts here like once per week for like two months. You have to do it years on end. And so many people are are not seeing that, how much goes into that. And I'm not tooting our own home. It's like, yeah, yeah, we were able and willing to put in the work. I know that there are other very demanding jobs out there. And I'm also aware that being a person, offline personal trainers requires you to get up at 4 a.m. in the morning to work with your first offline uh, clients, then at 8 p.m. in the evening, have a bunch of clients once again. But I think that many people are just like forgetting about all of the other things that goes into running uh, a a successful online business, especially because now you're competing against the entire world, against the best of the best in the industry. When you are a local PT, you're just competing against the local PTs. And is it's much more limited then right you may be competing against like in your gym maybe like four or five other pts if mm. at all right so you would probably always get some clients no matter what 
whether you're doing a good job or not, right? As long as you look a certain way, you attract people and people will be actually directed into your direction. Thing is though, that if you then want to transition over to online coaching, be aware of the additional work that you have to put in. And also, uh, don't just expect that you will be successful from the get-go. It can, it can maybe take you a couple of years. Maybe it will go very, very quickly if you are appealing a certain demographic, or maybe it will not be fruitful at all. And I've seen many people fail because they had the wrong expectations, they didn't have a system in check, and also they were trying to compete against uh, just like too strong of companies. And this is what economics, I mean, when you're in a free market. <laughs> it's like when you, when you have someone who's like, oh, um, I've, I'm learning to code. I'm, I've gone on codeacademy.com and I'm building the next Facebook. You're like, do you think that's how Zuckerberg did it? Yeah. Like mm. picked the the biggest incumbent company and thought i'm going to try and yeah. and try and have a crack at that yeah. yeah and facebook have a few people who can write code as well so yeah. like, chances are they'll they'll probably have something to say about it but yeah it's um i think the probably the most consistent reason for failure we see is expectations that it's going to it's going to happen immediately and then when it doesn't disheartened give up and again we we are constantly saying if you're moving from being what is essentially, all aside from legal status, what is essentially an employee of a gym where, you know, there is a pool, pool of people who've already paid to be there. They have already made it to the gym. They are already looking for help. And that is still difficult to get a client. You're taking yourself out of that infrastructure, going up against everyone else. And you think that there's going to be immediate success. Like there's just, there's the odd person who may see that, but most people won't. Yeah, and if you're then blaming uh, someone else to not be successful, yeah, then it's a lost cause because yeah. so many people are like they they feel entitled to actually get some clients online, mm-hmm. but this is not how reality works. Mm-hmm. No one is actually coming to you just because you believe that you earned some clients, <laughs> and that it would be fair to have some clients because someone else has that as well. Yeah. I'd, you just may look from the outside on a different company and you may think and perceive it that way that what you are doing is much better. But if no one else knows about that, you won't get any kind of clients. Mm. You're a personal trainer after all. And thus, you should first and foremost focus on these things, what makes a good personal trainer. And then you need to find a way to let other people know that you are a good personal trainer. And it's, I think, picking the it's picking the advantages and the disadvantages you want, right? It's like we've all said that one of the downsides of online training is there's not necessarily a boundary put in place for you. Like the gym doesn't shut yeah. or, you know, your clients can contact you any time of the day, especially if you're working with people internationally. Um, but the advantage of that is if it works and you get it to the point where you're living off it, it's a very high profit margin. It's very flexible. You can do it on holiday. You can work when you want to, you can train when you want to. And I think that's what, you know, the, the, the typical scenario of someone's frustrated by the 4am wake up and the 8pm restart and getting home at 11pm, they see the, the, the flexibility and how appealing of being an online coach would be and perhaps don't acknowledge some of the, some of the frustrations as, as any, any business has, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the, from the get-go, the challenge I see is getting clients. Mm-hmm. And like we spoke about, I think like having your local people 
like if you can get those or people you used to PT, transition them online, get them results, they mm-hmm. can refer to friends. You kind of build your social, your kind of circle that way. But then something that we've kind of touched on is, I mean, me and Pascal spend a lot of time coaching and that's how we make our income. But a lot of our time is spent doing things behind the scenes to make those clients come to us. So for me, like a lot of it is front facing podcasts, Instagram, like a lot of time is dedicated to that. And the great thing is from the beginning, cause you have barely any clients, you can put tons of time to all of that. Um, so you can really market the hell out of yourself. So I think for people who are looking, they can't just expect clients to come. Mm. And when they've got the time, that's when they invest into like growing themselves as like their knowledge base, but then also into marketing and doing what they enjoy because it's always going to, hopefully they're doing this from a point of view of like passion and enjoyment, trying to help people. So hopefully it wouldn't ever feel like time wasted. So is, is that partly the, what fed the decision to partner together? So that came from basically... I've always wanted to work with someone. Um, for me personally, I just, I just do well having, I feel like someone in my corner. I don't know why. I just always felt that kind of way. So I actually ended up bringing on Mark Newcomb um, initially, like very early. And I was not in a position really where like completely different position to where I am now, probably not in a position where I can really justify having brought on a coach, but I, I kind of just wanted to work with someone. Um, and Mark, was a great guy, but unfortunately didn't work out. And so it was like, well, Mark's fallen off. So let's bring someone else on. Um, Cause at the time my systems and everything were just incredibly inefficient. And so I thought my cap of clients was like <laughs> stupidly low. So I wouldn't take on anyone else. And of course, like Pascal said, you're doing everything at that point. So my time was really taken. So then I wanted to bring someone else on. And at the time I was intending to bring on maybe like two, three coaches, just I don't know. That was where my head was at. But Pascal basically just demolished everything in pure <laughs> German efficiency. Every That's why two or three people weren't needed anymore. <laughs> and we, we had the, um, after a few stages of kind of like getting some social media content, writing a program for a client. Um, and like during our, uh, I guess it was an interview, I gave Pascal the job there and then. And we kind of had already bounced off ideas of what we saw revive stronger being um, and like a bigger picture thing. We were both like in the same mindset, but we didn't know at that stage that the relationship would work how it does now. And that I'm very front facing. I'm kind of people see revive stronger. They might think of me immediately, but Pascal does a lot of the behind the scenes work that has to be done, but allows me to be that front facing. And it only have developed over time where it became that was the obvious. That's where his skill set and kind of that's what he enjoyed. And that's where my skill set was. And that's what I enjoyed. So it, sound, it sounds very similar to the what we recommend to, to our the people that we work with, the PTs we work with to help um, build their online presence is that if they're going to partner with someone, they need to have a shared vision um, and complementary skill sets. And then it's it's the ultimate way to maximize the output of your business because then exactly as you said, you're not tripping on each other's toes, but you've also got ways that you can build out, as you said, the front or the front and the back end of the business and um, that you're both moving towards a common goal. That's exactly how I would describe it as well, um, that we just complement each other. And I think the the problem that so many people, especially when you've been a prominent face in the industry, and I think that Steve is already there, that people who want to work with you would like to get into that position as well. 
And this is very hard then first and foremost to detect that when you take on someone new, right? Does he really want to build the brand or does he only want to uh, build his own name mm-hmm. to then, I don't know, leave the brand at some point when he actually made a name for himself. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I never, I never really liked, and this is something that I already experienced when I was playing in a band. I liked presenting on stage the music, but I never really liked to be like just one face there or I don't know, chatting to people uh, afterwards. It was just never for me because I, I like presenting what I've worked for. And this is how I see it with Revive Strong as well. I like to organize things in the background, like to just structure things, uh, lay things out. Such uh, German. But, yeah, and, and so <laughs> can be the face then. And um, yeah, this is, this is just what I mostly enjoy. And I think that complements or that, that is just like working well the way it does right now. And just like, it's a great complementation to another. So you guys are a team of two or do you have other coaches? How many, how many people work in, in Revive Stronger? So it's us two are kind of like business partners at the top of it. And then we have um, Harry Smith is a coach. We have Ryan Solomon, who's also a coach. And then we have Jess as an intern. We also have Miguel as a kind of chief science officer. He obviously, he was a coach for a period of time, but he kind of, that wasn't his where he wanted to go down. So that was totally fine. He wanted to take science to another level um, and probably do more, more true good for the world. And um, we have then uh, a physio on the team as well, Mike Chalice, uh, but they're all kind of, yeah, it's not like every single coach is employed by us and like, we don't employ a physio, but kind of like outsourcing. My video. <laughs> Yeah, I think your video is a bit delayed. I wasn't sure whether you finished. With you. <laughs> I thought you were just messing with us because you were like outsourcing. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. So it started with with you, Steve, and you kind of built built the brand out. Um, I think we probably the people that we have in the team now more than um, anything else is just helping us with like the. Like well, it's admin bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the, for us, like the first thing we always suggest that people think to, to sort of get off their plate is, um, you know, what are you doing every day that doesn't have to be done by you? How could it be done by software or someone else? Um, because that, so I, I imagine you guys find the same. It's the thing that weighs you down the most. Like it's the thing that um, you look at your to-do list for the day and you're like, I have these three needle moving projects to complete i have these clients need my help and then oh yeah i also have six hours of of admin to take care of that's like like an inevitable side effect of the business so i think like when when you've when when you're working in like a salaried job and you know johnny and i um i suppose are sort of painfully aware of this recently is that you're not only um not incentivized to be productive to be efficient to increase your output you're actually penalized if you <laughs> work more efficiently because you're just given more work. And so, so the, the frame shift when you're, when you're self-employed is that, as you both said, you become so precious over your time. Like I, I am militant over my time because yeah. like you, you just think like, so people were taking the piss out of me at work. Cause I, I was like, Oh, I've got someone that just irons my shirts. Like I give them the bin bag of shirts and they just charge a pound per shirt and they come back with a, with, with a, it's all, 
hung up in plastic sheets. And I was like, that's brilliant. And they were like, what? That's so lazy. Like you don't iron your own shirts. It's like, no, like, right. <laughs> What's your hourly rate? Like, do you think it's really worth your time to be spending, like, and I do a shit job of it as well. Like I, I take 45 <laughs> minutes to iron a shirt and, you know, so ironing, meal prep, cleaning, like it's just not a good use of, of your time from an economic perspective, unless you get some kind of therapeutic benefit from it. I think, and that same thing applies to business for sure. That if your your primary skill set is coach, that uh, and creating content, then why would you spend it doing anything that you could arbitrage the difference and pay a bookkeeper to do? No, absolutely. And funny that you're bringing that up because last week on the Improvement Season podcast, we just talked about that because uh, I'm adamant about having a cleaning lady at home uh, because I could do it myself, definitely, right? But I'm exchanging time for time that I have then available for other things that may actually produce more income or that is then better spent with things that I do like, right? Mm -hmm. Such as spending time with a family or so. And yeah, that's also one of the reasons why I get very personally offended when someone is saying, I don't have time. And then they spend each and every single day, four hours in front of Netflix. It's just Mm -hmm. like, no, you have time. You just decided to spend that time with something that you may enjoy, right? But you can't tell me that you don't have time for certain things. Mm. Get that person to send a screenshot of their screen time on their phone. Yeah, (laughs) That's the the most painful conversation. But yeah, it's, uh, I think... You, you realize more and more, I think one of the nice things about running a, running a business is you start to really realize these things. Whereas I think, you know, that as Yusuf says, like as an employee in another business, you work with someone else, you receive a, a salary each month. Um, you kind of know how the business works sort of, but you're not, you don't really familiar with all of the aspects of its, of its functioning. And then suddenly you have to make these decisions for yourself of, you know, well, could spend an hour doing this, or I could give that to someone else, or I could not do that at all what's the best way to make that decision? I, I do think it bleeds into other areas of your life. You start to make judgments and value assessments on what am I, how do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? Is that the best way to do that, et cetera? Absolutely. And you end up getting some eye ethic, on your shoes. Yeah, absolutely. The work ethic, ever since I'm self-employed, my work ethic is just so much better, so much better because sometimes when I was employed, I, I thought, what's, why, why should I do that? It's mm. basically that. It's like mm-hmm. Yusuf said, I'm not getting paid extra. So why should I put more effort and work in that, um, than required? I don't have anything uh, from that unless you want to make a good career in that industry or so, right? Um, but overall, I think it's also very fulfilling. If you have your own project, you are your own boss, so to speak, but also the own boss in how big can this company or this brand become? So if you only want to have a, dec- a certain or decent income to make a good living, perfect. Hey, yeah, you are your own boss in that regard. But if you want to have a something bigger and you just want to, I don't know, become a millionaire, whatever that means then to you personally, you can go out there, you can put in the work and effort and you can prioritize. No one is holding you back. Whether this is actually then possible for you, time will tell, right? But you can, you can try your very best to actually increase the likelihood of it happening. 
to happen. And that, I think that is so fulfilling as well, just like also in our industry because we're helping people. If you're then at a point where you are able to help a certain individual to achieve their goals, which doesn't always happen, right? Let's be real here. It doesn't always happen. But if you are then able to help them, it's so rewarding at the same time. And if you're by that also um, building your brand and becoming more successful, it's kind of double as rewarding or twice as rewarding. And it's so nice. It's so nice. It's fulfilling from a personal development perspective, but at the same time, you're doing something good for other people as well. For sure. That was weird. <laughs> that's, the first, that's the first bit of silence I've had on podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we've done it now. <laughs> there we go. We've, we've completed our life coaching. Um, guys, that, I, mean, I, think that's, I think that's quite a, um, a good place to stop, actually. Like, we've covered all of the dimensions of online coaching, from the mechanics to the personal side of it, to partnership, to time management, mm. um, delivering quality service, getting, getting good exposure with your content, and evolving as the market grows. We've managed to... Uh, and what dogs do with hands as well. <laughs> well yeah. Or what a, a one-stop shop for, for online coaches. <laughs> so yeah, guys, thanks. Thanks so much for, for coming on standard question. If I'm listening to this and I'm like, I'd like to find out more about these guys. Where shall they go? So I think this is normally my job. Um, so <laughs> that's why, that's why I, I noticed Pascal didn't waver. Well. Did he do? <laughs> yeah, about answering. Um, so, but our best place to head is revivestronger.com. Uh, you can find our online coaching on there. Um, you can have a browse and peruse over that. Uh, we have our podcast on there as well. Any old articles um, or older articles that we have available over there. We also recently launched our members site on there as well, which is kind of like educational, but also entertaining and uh, kind of a bit of a community feel over there. So that's just growing. So it'd be great to have more people over there. And then Revive Stronger is my Instagram. Pascal's Instagram is Pascal underscore floor. I will, he can outsource that to me. Um, and you can find the rest of the, our, like our, our team and everything over on Instagram as well. And they can find us on Facebook if they research Revive Stronger. So There is also, if you want to hear these guys um, on, the, on the stuff that they actually do, on the, the, the physique stuff, uh, we did a podcast with them, three, did you say three years ago? Yeah. Um, which I think is still an absolute corker. Uh, we covered <laughs> things like Steve being hit right in the pituitary by a van, um, experience with testosterone replacement therapy, how to, how to manage hypertrophy training around a, around a normal life. It was a, it was a really good episode. So yeah. that's on the, I think it's on both of our YouTube channels. So, um, you can check that out. And in a, sorry in advance because my English was terrible at that time. When I'm listening I thought back it was, to that, I was just I like, thought it was better, Pascal. I, I, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I take that back then. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Speak soon. Want to learn more about the systems we use to run, build, and scale propanefitness.com? Head over to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast and you can get your hands on our free training that covers the seven steps that we take with every client that we help build their own online business and also the seven steps that we use to successfully build Propane Fitness. We walk through the sales systems, the delivery systems, follow-up, remarketing, how to basically build your program so that it delivers coaching to your clients without you being there 24-7. We really do cover the full thing, right? And if you want to continue even further and potentially work with us, there's a chance to book in a call to have an informal chat with Yusuf or I 
to just basically see if any of our programs would be a fit to help you get from where you are to where you want to get to. So go to propinfitness.com forward slash business podcast today and get access to that. If you'd like to learn just more about Yusuf and I, more about us, what we do, follow us on the various channels, the best place to go is our YouTube channel. We have a load of stuff from fitness content, productivity content, why Yusuf slept on the floor for several months, why he's been having cold showers. There's always stuff on there that's entertaining and hopefully informative. So just go to YouTube, search for Propane Fitness, and you can find out a bit more about us there as well. Speak to you on the next episode.